Hey everyone, so this might be a little weird. I'm going to be talking about a high-profile atheist on an atheist podcast, but it's going to have nothing to do with atheism. Uh, Sam Harris has found himself mired in controversy yet again. He was recently on a podcast called Trigonometry, play on words there, and I was recently listening to Jimmy Dore's response, and I think he accidentally called it TriggerPod. Uh, but speaking of mistakes, really quick, in the last episode, the one about the attack on Salman Rushdie, almost said Salmon Rushdie, which I think was a Seinfeld joke, uh, near the end, I was talking about how ironically, in the wake of the attack, sales of the Satanic Verses actually surged, and I think I accidentally said paper book instead of paperback. Well, technically, books are made of paper, or pixels, I guess, nowadays. Anyway, Sam went on this podcast, Trigonometry, and I have to admit I wasn't previously aware of it, but it seems like a fairly popular show, a lot bigger than my Rinky Dink podcast. I think they have about 350,000 YouTube subscribers, uh, but Sam was on there and they were talking about Trump and internet censorship, and Sam ended up saying some things that kind of rubbed a lot of people the wrong way and received a significant amount amount of online backlash. And before I play any clips, I'll just try to briefly set things up with a quick summary. So they were specifically discussing the subject of Hunter Biden's laptop, and Sam basically said, paraphrasing, that even if there was a leftist conspiracy to sit on or ignore the Hunter Biden laptop story until after the election, that it was or would be justified or warranted, I believe he says. And this bothered a lot of people, especially, as you can probably imagine, Trump supporters, uh, because people saw it as what would be an unethical suppression of information that could potentially shift the outcome of an election. But let's play the clips, and I'll offer my thoughts as we go along. And this first chunk is actually a video clip from the video version of the Trigonometry podcast episode on which Sam appeared. I believe his appearance was at least an hour long, but I managed to whittle it down to about 15 minutes. So yeah, strap in, it's going to be a long episode. And since it's a rather big chunk of video I'm going to be wrestling with, I'm going to switch over to iMovie temporarily, and for whatever reason, whenever I record myself in iMovie, I sound like I'm speaking through a tin can, so be forewarned. And then when I'm done with uh, Sam, you know, commenting on Sam's appearance on trigonometry, I'll hop back over to GarageBand. But here we go. Do you really want to live in a country where you have a digital public square, which in my opinion, Twitter is. We can disagree about that if you want, but that's my opinion. It's a digital public square, and you have a company that has clearly one-sided enforcement. I, I hear what you're saying about delegitimizing de the electoral process that Trump did, right. and I was concerned about that. I think you can't question the system in that way. But when you see that he gets banned, and then a story about Hunter Biden gets banned, mm. that under the guise of it being Russian disinformation, we later learn it wasn't Russian disinformation. Right. That to a lot of people seems like, you know, I said it when we were talking to Joe Rogan, it's putting your hand on the scales yeah. in favor oh, yeah. of one side. In the digital public square, you add that to the banning of Trump and lots of other people being banned from one side predominantly. Right. Is that 
is that the world you want to live in, where one team gets to just ban people it disagrees with off the platform, it gets to pretend that things that are true are not true, it gets to shut down the sharing of information with people who want to make their own democratic choice? Well, it's a, it's a hard question, and there are pieces of the question that are individually hard. It's like the Hunter Biden laptop story is something that I still don't have a, a full opinion about. I actually don't know what we should have done about that. I mean, so I, so I see the reason, I see both sides of, of it. I, I can argue either side of it. The, the, so let's leave that piece aside. The bias on the platform, so, so either Twitter is a company that can do what it wants, right? It can have its own terms of service. It can change its policies. It can, it can change, you know, it can decide to, you know, it, it can have a point of view or not, right? Or we have to seize it as some kind of, you know, crucial piece of public infrastructure that has to, to Do you not think that it is a terms. crucial piece of public infrastructure? I think, I think people who are addicted to Twitter feel <laughs> it is, right? <laughs> I actually thought that was pretty damn funny. I laugh again every time I listen back to it. Even the hosts uh, start chuckling. Um, I think that's kind of a good point. The people who are addicted to this thing think it's necessary, you know? And I personally don't know how I feel. I'm still wrestling with that. You know, whether or not certain social media platforms should be regulated like utilities or, as Sam put it, uh, crucial pieces of public infrastructure. I mean, is that really what you want? And does that just apply to certain social media platforms that maybe have a certain amount of users? Or would it also apply to all the little you know, right-wing Twitter clones that have popped up, like Truth Social and Rumble and Getter, do those get regulated too? And for the people using those platforms, once again, is that actually what you want? Um, me personally, I mean, I don't see Twitter as a necessity, you know, and uh, at the same time, I don't know if I want the government stepping in and regulating it. And I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about that. Most, you know, and, and I think it's, you know, I don't think it should, should be. Um, and it's, it's odd to say that it's just so it's, first of all, it's just, I mean, Facebook is much, much, much bigger, right? It's just that we have a lot of smart people, journalists, uh, brands, uh, political people focus, concentrated on Twitter. So Twitter moves the the conversation more than Facebook does, but it's 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 the scale of it is much smaller. Um, I don't know. I just feel like people can start their own companies, which they have, right? So they can start competitors at Twitter. There are many people who you know Twitter is not. It's, it's still a failing business, right? It's mm -hmm. like it's not. It doesn't work really. I um, mean, Facebook is is a much better business. Um, there's nothing stopping Facebook from becoming stickier for intellectuals and journalists and, and attracting more of the conversation over there. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's an extreme move to say you, you can't, you can't be biased, right? Like who's, who's going to say that? But behind, behind the saying of that is a law in the end and there, and therefore, it's a gun. Therefore, it's 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 jail time for the person who wants to keep breaking the law, right? So, like, just imagine, imagine if Twitter, the Twitter board, like, what you, 
everyone gets what they want. You know, everyone who's who's of this opinion gets mm-hmm. what they want. You just we're gonna we're gonna come in and 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 enforce something like um, uh, a zero bias state in Twitter, insofar as that's possible. And if the if the employees and the board just say, you know, sorry, we we have a point of view. We want we want to have we we don't like these people and we like these people. Um, what so now? You just break up the company. You just say, you, you, you know, I mean, I I thought what I thought it should have happened with Twitter is I thought Jack Dorsey should have deleted it. I mean, I literally thought he should would have got the Nobel Peace Prize had he just <laughs> at a certain point deleted it, right? Um, but uh, yeah, I don't. So in any case, should there should they be forced to be impartial? I'm very skeptical of that. Should they be cajoled by unhappy people like yourselves or like you know the, uh, um, you know, the Trump fans to um, to I'm behave just better? I'm putting argument to yeah. Sam. And just to let you know, I'm not going to agree with everything Sam says in this clip, but I do get a kind of sick little thrill out of the way he jabbed the host there. I don't know if it's Schadenfreude or what, um, but he he calls them to their faces unhappy people meaning that these are the they're the very type of people that like to complain about twitter etc and the one host is saying i'm just putting the counter argument to you sam and i'm like sure sure the whole thing um it's a it's an anti-political correctness podcast basically you know um from what i can tell it seems like they have big names on to kind of bitch about and i'm not crazy about political correctness either but that's kind of the um the gist of the the podcast as far as i can tell I know one of the hosts, uh, and people listening to the audio-only version obviously aren't going to be able to see what's going on, but there's two hosts. One of them has uh, glasses, and um, his chin is partially missing. That's har- That's a horrible thing to say, but he's got kind of a weak chin and glasses and kind of greasy hair overs. That this, this sounds like I'm being awful, but I'm actually... That's what the guy looks like. Anyway, leave me alone. And uh, that guy still identifies as a leftist or being on the left. Then there's another guy who's kind of smaller, kind of thin and darker skinned. And I get the feeling he's the less left-leaning of the two or whatever. But yeah, it's basically kind of... um you know, uh, one of these kind of anti-woke, anti-political correctness type of podcasts. And no offense to my friend, the host of the uh, anti-woke podcast out there, uh, who's a listener of this podcast. Um, anyway, before I dig too much of a hole for myself, let's uh, get back to this. I mean, I think, so yeah, yes, I think if they were going to be, imp- the first thing to admit is it may be impossible to do this impeccably, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? It's like it's like the, in, until we have, you know, perfect artificial intelligence, it's just going to be impossible to be truly consistent with your terms of service because you're always going to be able to find the example of the thing that was not appropriately moderated. Yes, uh, but if we all know that if that laptop was Donald Trump's junior, oh yeah, this would be 100%. treated. That's yeah. that's all I'm asking. Oh about, yeah. Well, right? so, so but that's a, so let's take that piece. Um, I think it was totally appropriate to view Trump in a to be existing in a in a 
domain that was orthogonal to partisan politics. I my criticism of Trump is totally nonpartisan, right? There is absolute. There's literally nothing I say about Trump that I could say about any other Republican, right? And I think Liz Cheney is a total hero. Jukebox hero, bad '80s humor, right? So so, and I don't agree with her politics at all, right? Like Liz Cheney is a religious maniac by my lights, right? And in in that sense, kind of a terrifying political figure, like 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 that, like the the old me who you know was just worried about the Christian theocracy in, in the United States, um, would have just revolted at everything she would attempt to implement as a politician. But at this moment, she's you know she has no bigger fan than me because of how she's dealing with the Trump phenomenon. The Trump phenomenon is not a matter of political partisanship. He, he, is, a, he is just a sui generis. Uh, Doesn't happen often, but I've never heard that word before. What is it? Sui generis? Sui generis? <laughs> phenomenon. And it's, again, it's, it's, it's analogous to having elected Alex Jones president of the United States. It's, it's a, it's a, it's not a matter of his, like, I probably agree with half of his policies or more than half of his policies. It's not a matter of policy. It's a matter of having someone who's totally unfit to have power be given more power than any person in a generation. And and he's unfit for, in every possible way. It's like, it's not, it's not that he's just got a few screws loose. Like, every screw is loose. Every screw that you would want totally cranked down is loose or non-existent in him, um, and so yeah. So it's, but that, that's my argument. So, like, so, so my argument is that it was appropriate for Twitter and the heads of big tech and journal and the heads of journalistic organizations to feel that they were in the presence of something like a a once in a lifetime moral emergency, right? Whereas this is not the same thing as not liking George Bush you know, or not liking John McCain or not liking Mitt Romney for their politics. This was, here's a guy who is capable of anything, right? He's not, he's not ideological, but he's, again, he's, he's a black hole of selfishness, right? He's, he's, he's just, and so there's no telling what he's going to do. Um, and we cannot afford to have four more years with this guy, right? And, and, and so... Um, so what, what should well-intentioned people do who have a lot of power in these various ways? You know, you're running the New York times, you're running CNN, you're running Twitter. What should they conspire to do? Admit that it's their fault. (laughs) Admit that that Trump is their fault. And look, I'm someone from the left. Absolutely. That, that's, well, no, no, that, that's the perverse thing. It's totally their fault. He, I mean, CNN, CNN gave us Trump, right? Well, no, no. Before CNN gave us Trump, Mark Burnett gave us Trump. I mean, if there's one person who could have not done what he did and and could have closed the door to this whole phenomenon, it was Mark Burnett. Um, But yeah, no, by giving him the attention, you know, but he was he was great ratings, you know, for a year for the whole run up to to the 2016 election. Oh yeah, no. There, no one has clean hands here. But it, at the eleventh hour, when it's when, who knows how this election is going to go? Who know? Who knows what the capacity for, you know, disinformation at the last minute to to tip the balance is? 
then what do you do with the Hunter Biden laptop story when we already know, we, we know how this played out in 2016 with the Hillary Clinton email you know, press conference where, where Comey in, 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 a, in an abundance of scrupulosity felt like he had to come before the cameras, I think 10 days out from the election and say, you know, we've, we're gonna open up this, this investigation again because we've got Anthony Weiner's laptop. Uh, we could see, I mean, again, her failure to become president was overdetermined. She was a, an appallingly bad candidate. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of just tracking the poll numbers, you could, like, that was, that was the killing blow to her candidacy, right? That, that final moment. And this was, a, this was a highly analogous situation. This was, we're going to open up this laptop from hell, and the n news cycle for who knows how long is going to be just... A, just the, the, conceivably just a nuclear bomb of a, an October, October surprise. And we're going to get four more years of Trump if we actually give this a fair hearing. But Sam. But you can't do that, Sam, surely. You've got to realize that you've got to be <laughs> fair. And number, the thing that I want to We're talk, all equal before the law. Yeah. And aren't then, we? And the other this isn't the law. But the, I know it's not the law. law. But yeah. if, this is, if you accept my, my supposition that this is the public square, then it is the law. It is, if it is the public square, then it is law. Now, you're arguing it's not the public square, which is fair enough. Yeah. Right? That's right. fine. Yeah, but no. why don't we move on? Because I think we, we've done enough. Yeah, sure. Yeah. He's of sucked up a and I have to admit, I'm not a big Trump fan. You guys probably know that. But I've made a conscious decision to try not to really talk about politics on the show unless it's where religion and politics intersect. Um, like uh, gay rights, abortion, separation of church and state issues. And I say gay rights and abortion because it's often people's religious views that inform their views of those things, you know. But um, in an effort to try not to be as divisive, I've tried to dial back my mention, uh, my mentioning of Trump on the show. So not a big fan of the man, but I have to admit that sitting on a story in hopes that it will favorably sway an election one way or the other, uh, ethically speaking, doesn't sit well with me either, if that's what, you know, happened. Uh, but Sam was almost out of the woods, and as they're trying to segue to another topic, Sam just kind of stumbles right back into it. A lot of it. He's got a habit of doing that. No, but I'll just say, just finally, I, I do, th I, again, it's like a coin toss for me, the Hunter mm -hmm. Biden laptop thing, because I, I do understand how corrosive it is for an institution like the, the New York Times to show obvious bias and inconsistency and dishonesty in how they... Because like they couldn't even frame it honestly. It's not like it, it's not like it's like the way I would frame it is. Uh, listen, I don't care what's in Hunter Biden's. I mean, Hunter Biden at that point, Hunter Biden literally could have had had the corpses of children in his basement. I would not have cared, right? It's like it's there's nothing. First of all, it's Hunter Biden, right? It's not. It's like it's not Joe Biden, but. Even if Joe, like even the, whatever scope of Joe Biden's corruption is, like if you if we could just go down that rabbit hole endlessly and and understand that he's getting kickbacks from Hunter Biden's deals in Ukraine or wherever else, right, or China, it is infinitesimal compared to the corruption we know Trump 
is involved in. It's like it's like it's like a firefly to the sun, right? I mean, like there's just it doesn't even it doesn't even stack up against Trump University. And so I don't know if Sam is trying to state or imply here that Joe Biden did actually receive kickbacks from his son Hunter's business dealings abroad, or if he's just speaking theoretically or for the sake of argument. I've looked into it, and at least uh, according to mainstream media reporting, I know if you're a Trump supporter, you're probably going to be pretty skeptical of uh, the quote-unquote MSM, mainstream media. Um, But according to mainstream media reporting, it seems to be treated as a debunked conspiracy theory. But of course, wasn't there that quote-unquote big guy email uh, famously? Um, anyway, just trying to be as honest as possible, I honestly don't know. If he did receive kickbacks uh, from his son's uh, business dealings, where his son was trading on his father's name and his father's position of power, uh, I think that would be pretty damn serious, or at least pretty sleazy and sketchy and corrupt. Um, How would it stack up against Trump University? Um, I've heard some people on the Trump side try to make the argument, well, Trump wasn't in office at the time of that scandal, so at least he wasn't trading on his governmental power and influence or whatever. Uh, Either way, the Trump University thing still would be very, you know, (laughs) gross and sleazy and corrupt. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, most politicians on either side of the aisle, I wouldn't trust them as far as I could throw them. Um, I, so I don't know. Is Sam being hyperbolic? I don't know. Let's get back to it. Right. Trump University as a story is worse than anything that could be in, in Hunter Biden's laptop, in my view. Right. Now, that's not that doesn't answer the people who say it's still completely unfair to not have looked at the laptop in a timely way and to have shut down the, you know, the New York Post's. Twitter account like that. That's a, just a conspiracy. That's a left wing conspiracy to deny the presidency to Donald Trump. Absolutely. It was absolutely right. But I think it was warranted. Bam. So that's the part that really kind of got him in trouble. Right. And I'm and again, it's a coin toss as to whether or not Sam, I'm sorry, that particular piece. I'm, I'm really yeah. sorry. I, I was the one that said we should move yeah, on. Yeah. But you've just oh, said yeah. something I really struggle Go with, for there, which is the you kid, the support kid, the, kid, the kids in the basement. You, no, no, <laughs> fuck yeah. the kids in the basement. I'm interested yeah. in democracy. You're saying you are content with a left-wing conspiracy to prevent somebody being democratically re-elected as president. Well, no, I'm, I'm content. Well, so it's, but the thing is, it's just not left-wing, right? So Liz Cheney is not left-wing, right? Liz Cheney You're is doing everything in her power. You're content with a conspiracy to prevent somebody no, being but democratically it's not elected. A, no, but there's nothing, conspiracy, it's not, it, it was a conspiracy out in the open, it does, but it doesn't matter if it was, a, it doesn't matter what part's conspiracy, what part's out in the open. I mean, I think it's like, if people get together and talk, and talk about what should we do with, about this phenomenon, you know, if, if it's like, if there, if there was an asteroid hurtling toward Earth and, and we got in a room together with all of our friends and had a conversation about what we could do to deflect its course, right? Is that a conspiracy? You know, like some of that conversation would be in public, some of it would be in private. We have a massive problem. We have an existential threat, right? Politically speaking, I consider Trump an existential threat to our democracy, right? Now, it's not, he's not going to destroy the world, very well, likely. If he destroyed but, democracy in the process of protecting democracy. No, that, but that doesn't destroy, no, our, our, I'm not 
what I'm not suggesting, at no point was I suggesting we should stuff ballots or, no, no. or, or actually break the machinery of democracy. But the all, pol political opinion is already being just, just completely inundated with misinformation, biased takes, half-truths, mm -hmm. and outright lies, right? Like, and, and, yeah. Or just the amplification of, of bad or misleading information based on you know, the algorithm, right? Um, so that's, it's like it's, it's already just an abattoir of opinion, right? And now the question is, you know, what can you do with your own biases and your own the, 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 to, to, to get the outcome you think is actually better, not just for yourself personally, but for the world, right? So like I have like, it is, I'm completely unconflicted in, in the claim that, a, tr that a, a first Trump term was bad and a second Trump term would be bad. And it literally doesn't matter what was, what, what else was on the, the menu. Like literally, pick a pick a, a random American better than Trump in the in the Oval Office. Like the the, the likelihood that you're going to get someone who's worse than Trump, given what I consider that is bad about Trump, is I mean it's it's on the order of one in a million. Okay, so that does it for Sam's appearance on Trigonometry, and I'm now back in GarageBand, and hopefully my voice sounds a little louder and clearer. Same microphone, same computer, but a world of difference in audio quality between the two programs. Maybe it has something to do with the presets in iMovie. Hopefully I'll figure it out someday. Uh, anyway, Sam addressed the controversy on his own show. And so let's now move over to an audio clip of that. And it's also about 15 to 17 minutes long, and I'll comment as we go. Okay, well... I seem to have caught a case of Twitter cancer last week, and it was probably Facebook and Instagram cancer, too, but I don't look at those platforms. Anyway, I was on someone else's podcast and said some things about Trump and Biden, and those statements produced a fair amount of outrage in a very large group of people. So I think there are a few points I should clarify. There's nothing of real substance to walk back. But the truth is, I wasn't speaking very clearly or systematically on that podcast. And in one place, I actually misspoke. And as a result, there seem to be a few significant misunderstandings that have gotten amplified. I tried to clarify a few of these points on Twitter, knowing that I would be doing little more than spit in the wind. But I still think it was probably good to attempt this and to do it quickly, because several of the articles that got written about the episode noticed those tweets, and so they didn't spread precisely those same misunderstandings. Of course, some people noticed my effort to clarify things and rejected it. At moments like this, I'm always reminded of Nietzsche's aphorism. Oh, just had to work a Nietzsche quote in. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I actually like Nietzsche too. Uh, Nietzsche or Nietzsche, tomato, tomato. I actually think Nietzsche is the more correct uh, Germanic pronunciation. Anyway. That when you force people to change their mind about you, they hold the effort you cost them very much against you. This really does seem to be true. And it's pretty maladaptive. We tend to want to hold people to the worst possible interpretation of what they said, 
even when it's belied by other things they said in context and continue to say. This happens on both the right and the left, politically. And this is the problem with taking clips of audio or video out of context. Of course, any clip is, by definition, out of context. And on that note, actually, I just wanted to pause to say that as I was editing the clips for this show, I was, as I usually try to be, I was trying to be very mindful and conscientious and not edit the clips in a way that would produce a kind of deceptive or misleading result. Uh, my goal with editing the clips was just to maintain the spirit of the clips and not edit out anything crucial, but just whittle them down as much as possible for the sake of time. That's what a clip is. But many are chosen for the ways they seem to make a point very clearly when the editor knows that the actual point being made is far more complicated or even contradicted by something else the person says a few seconds or minutes before or after the chosen clip. Anyway, as most of you know, there are very few people who are more critical of Trump than I am. And I'm sure I will amply demonstrate that yet again in the next few minutes. But I think it's important to be honest even when attacking someone you know to be a terrible human being. And relying on clips is a great way to be misled and to mislead others about what people actually think. And many people over in Trumpistan are now doing that to me. Again, I made this much easier than it should have been by speaking sloppily. So I feel I need to offer some clarification. Because I genuinely see the grounds for people's confusion based on that clip. And because many people are now accusing me of believing things I don't believe. And of supporting things I don't support. And of generally being a hypocrite. For instance, many people are saying that I used to be committed to truth and honesty. I wrote a whole book about how bad it is to tell lies. But now I'm in favor of lying, apparently, and censorship. And I'm actually open to destroying our democracy, too. This is all bullshit. So apologies in advance if you find this boring. I actually find it an interesting experience to go through. Being engulfed by a tsunami of hatred definitely gets your attention. And you get to see who your friends are, and who is almost your friend, and who your former friends were always in the process of becoming. And you get to see otherwise smart and decent people deranged by rather sickening political and financial incentives. And you get to see the strengths and weaknesses of your own business model, and of your own place in the world, really. It's not an experience I recommend, exactly. If you can avoid being burned as a digital witch, I suggest you avoid it. Can I just pause to say I love the phrase digital witch? Probably make a good band name. But it really does have a silver lining, if you've played your cards right. First, I should probably play the clip that went viral, because this is what everyone is reacting to. The context was a 90-minute podcast, where I said many things that make this clip much easier to understand. However, as I said, I definitely created several problems for myself by bumbling around a bit and genuinely misspeaking at one point. And the fact that I actually misspoke will be very easy to demonstrate, because the word I used really does contradict everything I said in the setup to the clip, and it's contradicted by what I begin to say in the very next sentence. But it's certainly my fault for using the wrong term. Before I deal with the clip, 
I want to emphasize again that I usually speak very precisely even when I seem to be saying something extremely provocative. For instance, I've said on several occasions that I think Donald Trump is a worse person than Osama bin Laden. Now, the statement is obviously meant to get your attention. I get that it's surprising, but it's not meant to be hyperbolic. I can defend every word of a statement like that. What I can't defend are people's misunderstandings and erroneous extrapolations of a statement like that. Perhaps I should just clarify that statement again, because it actually goes a long way to explaining my view of Trump, why I think he's such a terrible person, but not nearly as scary as some people think he is, and not nearly as scary as many people think I think he is. I think Osama bin Laden was a more or less normal human being, psychologically. He was just living in the grip of a dangerous and idiotic worldview. The moral structure he imagined he was living under and wanted to impose on the rest of the world, given his beliefs, was despicable. So he created immense harm, and it's very good that we killed him. But within the framework of his odious beliefs, he demonstrated many virtues. He was a man who certainly seemed to be capable of real self-sacrifice, and he was committed to ideals beyond his narrow self-interest. He was, by all accounts, personally quite courageous. I don't claim to know that much about him. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was generally a person of real integrity and generosity and compassion in his dealings with his fellow Muslims. None of these things can be said about Donald Trump. Trump is, without question, one of the least honest and most malignantly selfish human beings I have ever come across. And so I think I know what Sam is trying to say when he says that Donald Trump is a worse person than bin Laden. Um, but I would probably reword it. I don't know if I'd say he's a worse person. After all, you know, bin Laden was behind the 9-11 attacks, which resulted in what at least are roughly 3,000 innocent lives being lost. I mean, I guess you could say, well, you know, what's Donald Trump's body count just as the commander in chief of the United States, you know, ramping up drone attacks, which Obama did also, um, you know, and maintaining two foreign wars, uh, which Obama did also, you know. But I guess if you go down that road, you have to take a look at the body count of every American president. But, you know, I don't know if I'd say he's a worse person than Osama bin Laden, you know, judged on, on actions. But I would say that Osama bin Laden was pr probably was a more principled person. He was driven by principles. You can question those principles, certainly. But Trump, on the other hand, I think is driven by personal interest and personal gain, vanity and that kind of thing. And this is a can of worms I'll probably regret opening, but since we're talking about Trump and body count, I think last year there was a story about how a, uh, a medical panel, I think, working for or with The Lancet, determined that 40% of U.S. COVID deaths probably could have been avoided uh, if Donald Trump had handled COVID better and implemented different policies. I know that's probably a very inflammatory thing to say. It'll probably catch me some heat. And I said I was going to try to avoid talking about Trump on the show, you know. Uh, but there it is. And of course, you can research it for yourselves. 
And just so it doesn't sound like I'm talking out you know where, here's a Business Insider article uh, dated February 11th, 2021. Damning analysis of Trump's pandemic response suggested 40% of U.S. COVID-19 deaths could have been avoided. Um, yeah, it says the report was published by the Lancet Commission. Anyway, let's get back to Sam's response. I say that Trump is an existential threat to our democracy. I don't mean that he is orange Hitler. Again, Trump is a narrowly selfish con man. He doesn't appear to think big at all. If he wants anything, it appears to be only fame and money. He seems content to do things like rack up millions of dollars in fees at his hotels and golf courses and apartment buildings by doing things like oblige the Secret Service to stay there. We all use the word grifter now with alarming frequency. Trump is the ultimate grifter, but he is not ideological. He seems to believe in nothing beyond the next opportunity to do something venal and selfish. So he is not Hitler. And this brings me to another confusing thing about the clip you're about to hear. I use the analogy of an asteroid hurtling toward Earth. This was not meant to indicate how bad I think Trump is. It was meant to indicate that the significance that the podcast hosts were attaching to the term conspiracy was misplaced. Anyway, you'll hear how potentially misleading this is. Okay, so now for the clip. Here's the necessary context. As I said on Twitter, I was talking about the ethics of ignoring the story about Hunter Biden's laptop until after the election. I won't play other clips from the interview. But suffice it to say that I made it absolutely clear that I found the decision to ignore this story a very hard call, ethically and journalistically. I stated quite clearly that I could argue both sides of the issue and that my mind wasn't made up. It still isn't made up. And I admitted that it was corrosive for journalistic institutions like the New York Times to appear to show obvious political bias in this way, when everyone knows they would never have ignored a Donald Trump Jr. laptop story. And I said that for me, it really was close to a coin toss. I could go either way on this. In the clip you're about to hear, I said that ignoring the laptop story and even suppressing the New York Post's Twitter account when they ran it was, quote, totally warranted. What I clearly meant to say was totally justifiable. It's the difference between justified and justifiable. In the very next sentence, I begin to say for the second time in the interview that it really is a coin toss for me, which makes no sense when said against the word warranted. This is where I truly misspoke, this single word. However, as you'll hear, I say several inflammatory things in this clip. So there's a little more to clarify. But I can defend everything I say here, because I believe everything I say here, except one word. And so I apologize if this seems redundant or repetitive, but Sam's going to play, you know, a chunk of the clip that you guys already heard, uh, but I thought I'd leave it in for the sake of context. Hunter Biden, at that point, Hunter Biden literally could have had, had the corpses of children in his basement. That's some dark imagery, Sam. I would not have cared, right? It's like, it's, there's nothing. First of all, it's Hunter Biden, right? It's not, it's like, it's not Joe Biden. But even if Joe, like, even the, whatever scope of Joe Biden's corruption is, like, if, you, if we could just go down that rabbit hole endlessly and, and understand that he's getting kickbacks from Hunter Biden's deals in Ukraine or wherever else, right? China, it is infinitesimal 
compared to the corruption we know Trump is involved in. It's like it's like it's like a firefly to the sun, right? I mean, like there's just it doesn't even it doesn't even stack up against Trump University, right? Trump University as a story is worse than anything that could be in in Hunter Biden's laptop, in my view, right? Now that's not that doesn't answer the people who say it's still completely unfair to not have looked at the laptop in a timely way and to have shut down the you know the New York Post's Twitter account like that that's a, just a conspiracy that's a left wing conspiracy to deny the presidency to Donald Trump absolutely it was absolutely right but I think it was warranted right and I'm and again it's a coin toss as to whether or not Sam I'm sorry that particular piece I'm, I'm really yeah. sorry I I was the one that said we should move yeah, on yeah. but you've just oh, said yeah. something I really struggled with it. there which is the you kid, support the, kid, the, kid, the kids in the basement you no no. <laughs> The kids in the basement. <laughs> I'm interested yeah. in democracy. You're saying you are content with a left-wing conspiracy to prevent somebody being democratically re-elected as president. Well, no, I'm, I'm content. Well, so it's, but the thing is, it's just not left-wing, right? So Liz Cheney is not left-wing, right? Liz Cheney You're is doing content everything with a in her power to prevent somebody no, being but democratically it's not elected. A, no, but there's nothing conspiracy. It's not. It, it was a conspiracy out in the open. It does, but it doesn't matter if it was. A, it doesn't matter what parts conspiracy. What parts out in the open? I mean, I think it's like if people get together and talk and talk about what should we do with, about this phenomenon, you know, if, if it's like if there, if there was an asteroid hurtling toward Earth and, and we got in a room together with all of our friends and had a conversation about what we could do to deflect its course, right? Is that a conspiracy? Okay, so as I said, you can hear me say, again, it was a coin toss for me right after I utter the word warranted, but then I get cut off by the host's next question. So I genuinely misspoke when I said totally warranted. I can truly argue both for and against ignoring and even suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop story. And I said that clearly elsewhere in the interview. But of course you wouldn't know that from that clip. And my asteroid analogy is also misleading as presented in the clip because I was starting to go down a rabbit hole about this loaded term conspiracy and why it was irrelevant. In any case, the net result is what comes through in the clip was emphatic approval, not just for ignoring the story until after the election, but for kicking the New York Post off of Twitter. And if I think Trump is as bad as an asteroid that might destroy all life on Earth, how could there be any limit to what I'd be willing to do to stop him? I'll come back to that point, because it's important. As far as the laptop story is concerned, the other point I should have made is that viewing the Hunter Biden laptop as Russian disinformation, or some other sort of disinformation, was quite reasonable when the story first broke. So I'm not at all convinced that Twitter knew it was shutting down a real story, or even that the New York Times knew it was ignoring a real one. So I don't think any early claims of Russian disinformation were necessarily lies. And I actually have no opinion about whether the 50 intelligence professionals who signed that letter alleging that it was probably Russian disinformation were lying. They might not have been. This was a totally crazy story. A laptop from hell just gets abandoned in a computer store and then winds up with who? Rudy Giuliani? 
And I think that's actually a fair point. I can remember when this story first broke, and it was this very strange, oddball story. And I don't think anyone knew if it was real or not, or if, uh, you know, there was any validity to it. But I guess you could argue that for the sake of transparency, outlets maybe still or should have covered it or ran with it. But just adding the caveat that, hey, this is this weird story that just came to our attention. It hasn't been fully vetted yet, and we're not sure of its veracity, you know? My claim is that given what happened in 2016 with Anthony Weiner's laptop, 10 days before the election, it is totally understandable that smart, well-intentioned people were inclined to avert their eyes from the Hunter Biden story until after the election, as I was. From my point of view, it was totally rational at that point not to care what was on Hunter Biden's laptop. And the truth is, I still don't care, given that Trump is looming over the 2024 election. Given the choice we had in 2020, given how much we know about both Trump and Biden, stretching back decades, there is absolutely nothing that could be on that laptop that is relevant to me. And I'll explain why in a moment. And this will also be true in 2024 if Trump runs again. Now, as I said, I was not speaking especially systematically or well in that podcast. And many things got condensed and entangled in my remarks about the Hunter Biden laptop story. For instance, there's obviously a distinction between the New York Times deciding to ignore the story and Twitter deciding to suppress the New York Post story about it. I think I'm more comfortable with the former than the latter. And there's a distinction between these two things and having 50 ex-intelligence professionals sign a letter declaring that it was Russian disinformation. I didn't differentiate any of those things in my remarks. And the truth is I feel somewhat differently about them. There are several other things that are misleading about that clip. Most people appear to be conflating what I'm recommending there with something illegal, like actual election fraud, or some other way of subverting democracy. In fact, even the podcast hosts appear to have misunderstood me on that point. I say a few things to emphasize the difference, but it doesn't really clear the air. Ignoring the Hunter Biden story, or even suppressing it, again, I'm still not entirely sure what I think about that. But neither of those actions entail breaking the law. They don't even entail lying. This is just pure editorial judgment, especially if you think the story stands a chance of being Russian disinformation. And once again, I think that's a fair point. If, if you sincerely think that the story is or could be Russian disinformation, you may even look at it as your ethical duty to sit on the story until it's been vetted. You know, that's one way of looking at it. Another might be that even if it's possibly disinformation or it may not be an authentic story, that people have a right to know that this is out there floating around, you know? I guess you could view it as coming down to a matter of editorial discretion, as Sam was suggesting. This is not breaking the First Amendment. It's not destroying democracy in order to save it. It isn't any of the things that hysterical defenders of Trump are now alleging. And I should say, it's simply amazing to hear people who are carrying water for the biggest liar, probably in history, shrieking about the primacy of truth and journalistic integrity in a right-wing echo chamber that has ignored and suppressed real facts and real stories for decades. 
You're telling me that you think Fox News and Breitbart and AM Talk Radio and the One America News Network don't ignore stories they find politically inconvenient? This is where you get your news? And you're pretending to be worried about media bias? And I'm not trying to be overly political or alienate anyone, but I think that, you know, as divisive or divisive as it is, I think that's a very fair point <laughs> that, you know, if you're watching OAN and Fox, um, you know, and you think that you're not in echo chamber or you're not listening to pro- or absorbing propaganda, you know, you, sh- you should open your eyes uh, because it's... <laughs> You're swimming in it, you know? Why'd I just laugh like a maniac? Anyway, uh, I think that's about it. So there it is, the latest Sam Harris controversy, controversy. And uh, so you heard the podcast appearance, you heard Sam's own response to it or explanation, and now you can decide for yourself. I hope you guys, you know, either way, enjoy this episode. As always, thank you for listening, and you guys know the drill. You can follow the show on uh, Twitter, not on there much. You can uh, like the the Facebook page. Uh, You can check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. If you'd like to support what I do here monetarily, you can go to patreon.com slash theweekendout and uh, support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time.